So go ahead and turn with me again uh, back to John chapter 14. I'm going to read this through one more time. Jesus is speaking. We're going to, this is kind of picking up from last week. Once again, we're in our vision series, and we're talking about the things that we want our church to be marked by. And this morning, we want our church to be marked by the power or the presence of God. I used to work for a guy who would say this all the time, like almost every week. He would say, don't roll me out of bed and take me to a church that ain't saying something. He would say that all the time. Um, If I'm going to get up on a Sunday morning, come give my time, my talent, and my resources, I want to encounter the presence of God. I want to know that something is there. And so as your pastor, one of the things I want to help cultivate in your life is a hunger for God's presence, a hunger for the Holy Spirit. And I want to break down the walls and the barriers that sometimes we build up that you only can meet the Holy Spirit when you come and you have a really great worship team or someone preaching and teaching. We want, to, we want to break down those walls and teach you that the Holy Spirit wants to come into your living room, that the Holy Spirit wants to come into your workplace, into your cubicle. Uh, on the way to work, he wants to invade your, your, I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I coming back over here to Riverview from downtown and getting into this traffic, I need Jesus to invade <laughs> the space in my car, especially when I get in the middle of traffic, but the Holy Spirit wants to come in. And the thing that I want to say to you, and I just really feel like, like this is important is that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't come in to embarrass. He doesn't come in to call out. He doesn't come in to attack or to belittle or to undermine or to demean. The Holy Spirit always comes into our lives to build us up. Even when we experience conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's always for our betterment and for our good. That he is a good father. That he comes in and he ministers to us in such a way that's healing. And so the, the reason why this is important is because in John chapter 14, Jesus is putting on his pastor hat and he's talking to his team. Now, last week we talked about Peter being rebuked by the enemy or by by Jesus and saying that the enemy is going to uh, basically before the end of this night, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus is, is coming back and he's pastoring their heart. He had just dropped some major downloads onto him. He had, he'd shared some difficult information and now these guys are sitting there trying to process it all. And Jesus is coming back and he's pastoring them. So put yourself into this environment for just a moment. Jesus is telling them, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave. Now, these people love Jesus. They love Jesus. They, 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 have, they have literally dropped everything to follow him. And now Jesus is saying, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. So this is the conversation that Jesus is having with him. And so he goes and looks at him and he says, these things I have spoken to you in verse 25, that while I am still with you, but the helper, look at your neighbor and say, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, now that's a promise. If you, if you have your Bible, circle that, underline it. It's a promise. Now here's a second promise that he gives us. Peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. How many have ever been the beneficiary, you don't have to raise your hand, but of a really generous will? You know what I'm talking about. How many say, I want that favor, <laughs> want that blessing over my life? Peace I leave with you. Could you imagine like the, the idea of someone saying, hey, before I go, I just want to let you know that I'm going to leave everything to you. This massive estate. 
Elon Musk, Warren Buffett calling you up and saying, hey, I'm going to leave everything to you. How many know peace has now come into your home? (laughs) Peace I leave with you. So it is a promise. Jesus is saying, I'm going to pass. I'm going to go. But this is what I leave with you. And then he goes, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Okay, because here's the condition that the world a lot of times does is I'm going to give this under the condition that you perform. I'm going to give this under the condition that you act and obey and do everything right. But what does Jesus say? No, I'm going to leave this with you. No, no conditions attached to it. Why? Because that's the character of the father. That's the character of the one that we serve and lead. He says, so not as the world gives, do I give to you. And then he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And how many would agree with me that this is a promise for us today? that this is a promise for us today. So when he says, let not your heart be troubled, who is he talking to? He's talking to us. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, a lot of times it's very difficult for, for me to not be troubled over a situation, especially when something's very vexing or something's very uh, difficult for me to maybe process my heart around it. The Holy Spirit comes as a gift to us to help us, to remind us to not let our hearts be troubled. Why? Because he is the one that's going to take care of it. Whose battles do we fight? We don't fight our battles. We fight the battles that the Lord has brought to us. But who is the victor in that? It's us. And who fights the battles on our behalf? It is him. That he is the one that comes in. And so it says, I'm going away and I will come to you. Now, I, I, you, never mind, I don't have time to unpack that. If you loved me, you would have, I'm, I'm literally just in the, the verse right now. I should be halfway through this, but anyway. said, I, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. Okay, so let's talk about this. Let's, let's unmark, or unpack this for just a minute. What happened here and what is Jesus doing? So he's laying some new groundwork. He's starting to talk about a functionality of the kingdom of God that's going to happen after he dies on the cross. As what we see here, as Tozer would say, holiness is taught in the scriptures is not based upon knowledge on our part. Because if that was the case, then the disciples would have known what was happening. They've been with him, but they didn't see what was happening. Tozer goes on to say, he says, rather is based upon the resurrected Christ indwelling in us and changing us into his likeness. So what he's saying is, hey, I have to go. I'm a part of the Trinity. What we would say is the Godhead. I have to go. And he knew that where they were headed after he left, he knew that they were going to go through some things. Some of these guys literally gave their life for him. Some of them were burned alive in oil. Some of them were crucified upside down. Some of them were taken to the top of the church building and thrown off the top. How many would agree with me? If you're going to go through stuff like that, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. And he goes, hey, I want to empower you in that. Now, most of us will never face that kind of stuff. But the reality is that the Holy Spirit doesn't have levels of difficulties that we we have to pass. Like we don't have to get to a level four or above before the Holy Spirit gets engaged. So the Holy Spirit doesn't go, you know what? You're going through a little bit of an issue with that hospital bill. That's not really something I want to get engaged with right now. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is engaged in every aspect of our life. So do you love your kids? Guess what? He loves your kids more. Do you love your spouse? He loves your spouse more. Do you love your car? Your stuff, yes. We talked about stuff. Guess what? The Lord loves your stuff. It's his. Give it away. He loves it. 
He cares about those things. And so what happens is that we, we sometimes disconnect our lives from the Holy Spirit. We act like the Holy Spirit isn't there or the Holy Spirit doesn't care. But when in reality, the truth is, is that when they were headed, they needed a major helper and an advocate. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, and I love this quote about Christianity. He said, the Christian idea has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And so I've had young, young people that I've given uh, walk through or, or talk through or, or, or actually led to the Lord. And they'll come back to me about a year or two later and they'll go, like, Pastor, like everything was really great. And I was excited about going to church. And, and now it just seems like things are really difficult and hard. Am I doing something wrong? And I'll go, no, welcome to Christianity. Yeah. We don't serve Jesus because he's going to make things better. We serve because he is better. And let me say this is that a lot of times when we start serving Jesus, things actually get worse for a while because God's working things out of our life. God's dealing with us on some things and, and the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to give up some stuff. Yeah. He's dealing with us on certain ideas or certain aspects of things. And so in John chapter 14, 20, uh, 16 and in 26, we realize that these are promises. So let's look at these promises. He says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. John 14, 16. And then verse 16 or 26, he said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Now, these are promises. Who are they promises for? Are they promises for pastors who, who spend their week praying and, and leading and doing all those kind of things? Are they for the most holy in this room? Who are these promises for? They are for us. They are for us as believers that we have these promises, that we have an advocate on our behalf. And so what we, talk, what we call this in theology is that this is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That this is the image of the power of God working in us. So let's just talk about this for a minute. What image comes to your mind? You don't have to answer this out loud. But what image comes to your mind when you think about the Holy Spirit? I'll give you just a minute to think about that. Can I be honest with you while you're thinking? I'll tell you what mine is. Mine, mine would be two things, actually. How many are, are familiar with Casper the Friendly Ghost? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I kind of think of Casper the Friendly Ghost, like, just coming through that wall. And just, when we're talking about spirit breathe through the room, like, Casper just going through all the room, just hitting everybody. <laughs> the second image that I have is from uh, growing up in an Assembly God, sh- uh, God church. And how many went to Sunday school and they had one of those little felt boards and they put the little pictures up on there? Let me see your hand. How, oh, actually, hold on. Who did not? Who did not have that? All right, it shows in every one of y'all's life right now. It shows. Y'all didn't have no felt board Sunday school teaching and it shows. Every last one of them. Totally kid. But I remember my Sunday school teacher putting up this dove and it had like lights shooting out of it. It was like a, a fantastic dove, an awesome dove, a super empowered dove when Jesus got baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Whatever image that it is, you, you have to realize that the, that correct image in us matters very deeply. Because if you have an image of the Holy Spirit being this guy that's just waiting to chastise you, or if you have an image of the Holy Spirit of a God who all you can see is his feet sitting on a throne and then everything else is un- uh, unrevealed to you, then how you respond to the Holy Spirit is going to function through that, through that lens. But if you see the Holy Spirit as someone who's come to be an advocate, someone who stands, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in your life before where you felt undefended, 
where you felt like no one was standing by your side, where you felt like everybody was against you, guess what? The Holy Spirit is your advocate. So when the enemy is trying to come and say, who are you to raise your hands? Guess what? You get Jesus going, "Uh -uh. uh-uh. What? What you saying? What you saying about her? It's the advocate. That when you're sitting there and you're on trial, your feelings are putting you on trial or your past is putting you on trial or, or maybe your enemies are putting you on trial, guess what? You have a lawyer who is fighting for you on your side, who's advocating on your behalf, and it's the Holy Spirit. When you don't know what to do in the middle of the night, when you're trying to, when you're wringing your hands or you're walking up and down the hallway, guess what? You have a Holy Spirit who wants to advocate, who wants to come in and give you wisdom. When you don't know how to discipline your kids or what to do with your kids or whether or not you should discipline your kids or whether or not you should have kids, guess what? You have the Holy Spirit. You have an advocate on your behalf. When you're sitting there in the middle of work and you're frustrated and you're angry and you don't feel like that you're moving forward and you feel like everybody has forgotten you, guess what? You have an advocate in the Holy Spirit. He's always working. And you go, well, I don't see him working. You don't need to see him work. You just need to know that he's working. He's always doing something on your behalf. And so this is what we call the Trinity. It's the the work of the Holy Spirit. You can find them all throughout Scripture. I don't have time to go into it, but you can find them even at creation. You can find that the the Godhead was there. The the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. This is what we talk about. Father, uh, Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, the, the Godhead. Colossians 2 and 9. Go ahead and just write that in your notes. I don't have time to turn there. But it's one of the clearest statements of the deity of Christ anywhere in the Bible. Okay, so you're going to want to look that up. I'll read it to you really quick. It says this, In him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So we see when Jesus came down from the heavens, walked this earth, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead. So when Jesus would talk to his disciples and say that we are one, that I am in him as he is in me, that he was walking the earth, the Godhead, the Trinity. When Jesus was talking to his disciples in this moment, he said, guess what? I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to heaven. I'm going to go back to where our home is, where our future home is going to be. And I am now going to sit at the right hand of the Father. But I'm thankful that Jesus didn't say, hey, y'all, y'all just try to figure it out. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, into your life. The word for Godhead. How many want to do some Greek here real quick? Let's do some Greek. It is theotas. Say theotas. You're now a theologian. According to this verse, Jesus Christ is God incarnate. That he is the one that walked among us. He embodies all, say all, the fullness of God and it's his, his fullness in us. And this truth perfectly aligns with Colossians 1.19, which says this, that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. I can tell right now some of you are very grateful for the podcast, so you can go back and listen to this later again. So how do we start growing? And let's talk about the practicalities. How do we start growing in Christ and in our fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Okay, so now that we know that he wants to advocate, now that we know that he's here, how do we start growing in that fellowship with Christ? Well, this fits in with our vision, and this is why our part of our vision. Because our lives start to change for the better when we ask this simple question. Who or what is discipling us? Who or what is discipling us? 
Because every single one of us are being discipled by something. You say, no, no, I'm not a disciple of anyone. Yes, you are, whether you realize it or not. Has anyone ever looked at Instagram or Facebook and saw a cute outfit and went out and rushed and bought it? Pat raised his hand. (laughs) You just get discipled by Instagram or Facebook. How many, we we have this running argument in in our house uh, about whether or not our phone can listen to whether uh, our ads. I mean, we have been talking about like uh, getting some laundry detergent. And the next thing you know, you look on your social media and there's uh, laundry detergent. I see there's some conspiracy theorists in here with me. Pat would say no, that that's not at all what's going on. I would disagree. I know nothing about tech, but I still disagree. I think they're listening. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think they're listening. So we're being discipled by something. So whatever, whatever has the largest pull on you. And so when I was a youth pastor, the biggest thing that I would tell my kids all the time, and really even now as I talk to parents, is who are your friends? Because your friends will determine your future. Who are the people that you listen to? Who are the people that you put in front of your face? Who are the things that you put around you or engage in? Because those people that you put in front of you or you have around you in your life, those people are going to influence you whether you realize it or not. And so if you've ever been outside and walked outside, the best way to put an analogy on it is if you've ever walked outside and got in your car and it's been dead, and we've all experienced that, you know that that battery is more powerful than the lights that it runs. But if you leave those lights on long enough, negative will always pull down positive. So the moment we start asking ourselves, is, is this particular thing discipling me? Is this particular person discipling me? And then asking the second question is, I don't know that this is healthy for me to be engaging in. I don't know that I need to be putting this before my eyes. I had a conversation with my son. Can I just, a small caveat, one of the things that Val and I prayed over is that our kids would not be the kind of kids, the pastor kids that grow up and hate church. It was really sweet seeing my son lean that song this morning. One of the conversations I have with my sons all the time is talk about holiness, the idea that when we put our, what we put before our eyes, what we allow it to come into our spirit will come in. Mama would say garbage in, garbage out. And so the idea is the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to us. How do we ask ourselves? So that's why we talk about pathways. That's why we talk about becoming more like Jesus, following the narrow way as opposed to going down the broad way. The broad way always leads to death where the narrow way always leads to life. That the Holy Spirit speaks to us because of that. And so because it's not that you are a disciple, once again, it's going to be a question of what are you a disciple of? Are you a disciple of the culture and everything that goes on? And we're not against culture at all. We feel like God has sent us into culture to be the ones that speak life to it. But if we are a part of the culture, then we can never really speak to the culture. I was sharing this story on Sunday night at Eastside or Central City, and I didn't share it here. One of the reasons why the early church impacted the world so greatly, especially in Rome, was because they had a much different ethic with how they approached sex and with how they approached their money. The Romans were very used to going and basically during their lunch hour enjoying a brothel. They had no problem with it. They'd get all the dudes together and they would just go basically have lunch and they would go to a brothel then they would go back to work. And then they were very, very stingy with their money. They, would do, they absolutely would do nothing with their money. And then came along the Christians. They had no money, and they were incredibly generous with their money, but they were incredibly stingy with their bodies. They wouldn't give themselves to everyone else. 
And so what happened is these families started to break down and people started to see a different ethic and they started to go. And you can go back and I'm going to read a letter in a couple of weeks and encourage you to come be a part of it. But uh, the, the, a letter from a guy that was sent out by one of the Caesars and he said, I want you to go investigate these Christians and I want you to figure what they're all about. That their lifestyle was so countercultural because of holiness, because they set themselves apart because they knew that they were called to something different. But why talk about pathways? I mean, really. So now we, we've talked about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the how. But why talk about the pathways of, of formation? Let me read this scripture to you. I'm going to break it down, and then we're going to close. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4 says this. And I'm going to read it out of the message. It's not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to listen to it. But it says this. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. So when you gave your life to Jesus, for those of you that have, when you gave your life to Jesus, it was the Holy Spirit that came. I mean, I remember the night that I gave my life to the Lord, man. I mean, I can remember like it was yesterday. I was 13 years old. I had no real idea what was going on. I can't even remember the sermon. All I remember was running down that aisle, going to the altar, 13-year-old boy, and I fell on my knees, and I wept, and I wept, and I wept, and I wept. And that was the night that I gave my life to Jesus. There wasn't a a superhero stunt. There wasn't a a guy on stage that was doing push-ups or all those other things. I mean, I probably would have been excited about that as a 13-year-old. It was my heart responding to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit awakening in me that seed that every single one of us have. And now that that has been awakened in me, there's now a call on the inside of me. There's now a hope on the inside of me. There's now a newness and a freshness. My life is no longer my own. I have to live it differently. And so what we realize here is in 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, that everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has already been given to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. What if, what if I said today that there were three things that I wanted you to do before you left here, and if you did those three things, the church would pay off your mortgage? How many would do it? Well, you don't know what the three things are. Don't raise your hand yet. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't care what they are. I just want my mortgage off my back. I want to do it. So if that is a simple analogy of what we could do to get our mortgage paid off, how much more, well, how silly would it be for us not to follow those same plans and patterns to have a life full of the Holy Spirit? He's not hiding this stuff from us. He's not sitting back going, hey, guys, listen, you got to figure this out. There's a lot of clues that I'm going to leave behind. He's giving us the glaring, obvious, come to me, have hunger for me, rip your garments, drop the pride, don't worry about what's going on, don't worry about who's getting promoted, don't worry about who's got a better car than you, don't worry about any of those things, just come to me and let me take care of everything else and I promise you I'll work in your life. I'll promise, I promise you 
that I'll work in your life. And so here's what we see, and these are just some of the very small promises that we see in the Scripture, is that the Holy Spirit wants you to live a life of an overcomer. The Holy Spirit wants you to live a life of an overcomer. He wants your family to be built upon a solid foundation. He wants your family to be able to be reconciled and whole and healthy where your kids are able to go. Listen, you've heard me say this before, especially being on Eastside for a long time. I want to live a life in such a way to where my great-grandkids put a picture up on their mantle and blow kisses at it because they go, man, my great-granddaddy was a blessed man and he blessed every last one of us. That's the kind of legacy that as Christians we can leave. That's the kind of legacy that we can leave behind. He wants you to be solidified in joy and peace, not this up and down stuff all the time. He wants you to be able to, peace I give you, peace I give you, and he has come to help you get unstuck. Unstuck. The same conversations time and time and time again. And so how does it happen when we worship with complete and total abandonment? Something happens. It's not just standing up here and singing songs. There's something happens. Something shifts in the atmosphere. Something begins to move. God begins to do something. How many know what I'm talking about? When Ben starts hitting those drums, you know what I'm saying? Ben starts hitting those drums, everybody's like, even the, even the most stoic of us are like, is that not true? Because your body can't help but respond. There's good things. How? I got to respond. You know, I look goofy, but I'm going to respond. How many know? Sometimes you just got to look, look goofy and let God do his thing. I'm going to worship him. I'm gonna, I don't really care. When we, when we center our day around him, in his ways, things happen. We say, God, I'm going to give you the first fruits. Even if it's for two minutes, I'm going to give you the first fruits of my day, and I'm going to give you the last thing of my day. And, and, and Lord, right now, that's a good start. I'm going to work on the middle of the day. But when we start doing that, guess what happens? Here's the thing. All I need you to do is just move. All I need you to do is just be willing to say, hey, Holy Spirit, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm available. Whatever it is, just do it. That's a dangerous prayer, I guarantee you. But I promise you, what you're going to give up is, not, is going to pale in comparison to what he brings into your life. That's the Holy Spirit. He is an advocate on our, our behalf. And guess what? He's been waiting on you. He's been waiting on you. He's been waiting on you. Let me read this quote to you by Mother Teresa. Drop a Mother Teresa quote. Drop the mic and bounce out of here. It's a little unfair, but I'll use everything at my disposal. (laughs) The greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God.